what God has done through our giving, and we look forward to that. That's next Wednesday night. Hope everyone comes, especially our members, next Wednesday night. 1 Peter chapter 4 this evening, 1 Peter chapter 4, we're finishing up this chapter, verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Look at verse 12 tonight. Beloved, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to, this is a letter written to Christians. This, this is not to non-unbelievers, not to non-Christians. This is to Christians. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But get mad. He didn't say that, did he? But rejoice, insomuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you may be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory of God resteth on you in their part. He is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. If any, if any suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin in the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Father, we thank you again for this time you've had allowed us to, to hear your word preached. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us. God, that you would allow us, Father, to, to grasp what you're trying to say through the Apostle Peter to us, his disciples, and now to us ourselves many, many years later. God, I pray that we would be enriched. I pray that we'd be challenged. I pray we'd be stirred. Whatever your spirit desires to happen, I pray, God, through the teaching and preaching of your word, that would happen this evening. Bless your holy word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most powerful women that ever lived is not the queen that just, that just passed away, though she was a very powerful woman, but was Queen Elizabeth I. If you read anything about her, 1533 to 1603, she was the daughter of King Henry the eighth and Anne Boleyn, which that was quite a story in itself. If you study the life of King Henry, um, she became queen uh, when she was 25 years old and ruled England for 44 years until she was 69. She was a slender woman. She was red-haired woman with, with curly, she had fair skin and curly red hair. In the 1500s, there was an ongoing rivalry between, uh, between England and uh and King Philip II of Spain and uh, the Spanish Armada in 1588 sailed into the English Channel. Now, <clears throat> this woman was not a wimp, okay? Here is part of her speech that she gave as a pep talk preparing her soldiers for war. She said, let tyrants fear. I have always so behaved myself that under God I have placed my chiefest strength and safeguard the loyal hearts and goodwill of my subjects. Therefore, if I'm come against among you, as you see at this time, not for my recreation and disport, but being resolved in the midst and heat of the battle to live and die amongst you. I'm come to lay down 
lay down for my God, for my kingdom, for my people, my honor, my, and my blood, even in the dust. I know I have a body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king and of a king of England too. I think foul scorn that Parma or Spain or any prince of Europe shall dare to invade the borders of my realm rather than dishonor shall grow by me. I shall take up arms. I myself, your general judge and rewarder of every one of you of your virtues in the field. Quite a speech. Quite a, quite a rah-rah. What happened during this battle? Well, the, the English ships were actually smaller and more maneuverable than the larger Spanish ships, and because of that, they destroyed most of the Spanish ships, and when they escaped, many of the Spanish ships were destroyed and, uh, it was bad because of bad weather, and England won this 99-day this 90 battle at sea. So <clears throat> we see that oftentimes before war, we, before a battle, we need to be challenged. We need to, we need to recognize that, that there is, needs to be preparation. Preparation, really, in any area of life is key to success. That's why I have marriage counseling. Actually, I would never perform a wedding unless there was marriage counseling. I would never do it. Why? Because more important than what happens there in 25 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, however long it takes, it what happens before. Are these two people saved? Do they actually know one another? They actually know who their parents are because you don't just marry a person. You marry into a family. You best know who your mother-in-law, future mother-in-law is and father-in-law is. And do you actually like spending time with them? Because you're going to spend time with them. <laughs> Some may be more than you want to, but you're going to spend time with them. Do you know about your past? And have you talked about your failures and your propensity, your habits, your hobbies? Do you like one another? Do you like spending time with one another? Preparation is key in everything. These Christians, Paul is, Peter is writing these words uh, to, to these Christians who, because they're getting ready to be persecuted, they, have, they were being persecuted, and they were going to go through much more persecution. Even today, there's persecution. It is estimated over 160,000 Christians are martyred today for the faith of Jesus Christ, Tip predominantly in Muslim and communist countries. I was just reading some statistics yesterday. The number one country in which Christians are, are martyred for the faith is Nigeria. We have a missionary, the Youngs, going to Nigeria. So what can we learn about preparation before persecution? Well, first of all, we see these comforting words about trials. What does he say? These, these comforting words about trials, he says, Think it not strange. Think it not strange when a hurricane comes. We live in Florida. Think it not strange when mildew comes all over your house. Think it not strange when the, you walk outside and, you, and you're walking in the dirt and you step in a pile of sand and you got red ants all over your shoes and you're getting ready to get bit because you can't get them all fast enough. Think it not strange when that roach is on the, on the Bible and you're trying to keep your wife from seeing it because you don't want to have a fit all night long. <laughs> Think it not strange when the doctor calls you at 2 o'clock in, in the morning and tells you some bad news. Don't think it's strange. You've lived long enough, most of you, to recognize trials are not a maybe. 
they're, um, they're going to happen in their life. It's not an if, it's just when. You have to prepare yourself for it. Don't wait, well, you know, <laughs> you know like, like hurricane season. We all know hurricane season is, is coming. If you lived on the coast, and I lived on the coast for 18 years, you went ahead and bought yourself some shutters. Because at least once a year, somebody's going to say, you need to put up the hurricane shutters. Now, you never wanted to do it because it takes about half the day to do it and about a half the day it took it down. But if you don't do it, you'll wish you did. The old house I lived there on Tampa Road, by the grace of God, we put up some shutters. And I went by the house uh, this couple weeks ago to see it, and it's still there. Thank God. Because we prepared for it. We prepared for it. Are you prepared for persecution? Are you prepared for problems that come in your life? Think it not strange concerning the fire trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. This word, think it's not strange, means don't be surprised, don't be astonished, don't be shocked. Don't be shocked. Don't be shocked. John chapter 16, Jesus said it. These things have I spoken to you, he's speaking to his disciples, and in me you might have peace, but in the world you shall have tribulation. Did he say maybe have tribulation? Did he say could have tribulation? Did he say might have tribulation? He said you shall have tribulation. Did his disciples have tribulation? Every one of them, every one of them died. Every one of the apostles, disciples died. Every one of them. He was speaking the truth. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Because there's more than just this life. There's the next life. There's a better life that we just sang about. Right? The place where roses never fade. We're thinking about the next life. So fiery trials of Christians in Peter's day, of course, they were many. In 64 AD, because of a, uh, of a wicked emperor by the name of Nero, there was a, ma a, ma a mammoth fire that raged for nine days in the summer of Rome. Because the streets were so narrow and the houses so close, the flames spread quickly. The people of Rome believed that Nero was behind the fires because of his desire to reconstruct Rome. He watched from his towers as flame engulfed the city, and he would not let the people douse out the fire. He, he, he made the Roman soldiers keep the people from trying to, take, to, take, to, to douse out the fire. And at the end of it all, he blamed it on the Christians. Here's some reasons why he blames his problems on Christians. Number one, Christians were accused of being cannibals during the, because of the Lord's Supper. Because of the phrase, this is my body, this is my blood. They were falsely accused of, uh, of immorality because they, it, they greeted each other with a holy kiss. Christians were, were linked to Judaism because Christ was a Jewish man. Unbelieving husbands and wife were upset with Christians and resented them because of their their changes in their spouse after they trusted Christ as their Savior. Christians were accused of treason because they did not declare Caesar as Lord. But to the Romans, Caesar was a God, was the Lord. But to Christians, the Bible says, have, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So it was a total opposite life the Christians had versus the Romans. And so... This, this fire destroyed much of Rome, and the Christians were to blame for it. After the death of Nero, they had pretty much peace until another Roman emperor by the name of Domitian came and 
also committed great wickedness. Vance Havner, the great Southern Baptist evangelist, stated that the Nicene Council in 4th century A.D., an important church meeting of the 318 delegates attending, there were fewer than 12 that had not lost an eye, a hand, or did not limp on a leg because they were tortured for their Christian faith. The peace that we have in America is really a bubble that is not normal in the history of Christianity. The peace that we have had in the United States of America is really a bubble compared to the rest of the history of Christianity. We have, we have enjoyed, thankfully, peace. Peter described his suffering come as fiery trials. The phrase comes means to set on fire, burning, burning a melting process of metals, calamities, trials that test the character of a person. So they're not just they're not just trials; they're fiery trials. The word "happened" here is a key word. It, it means to go together or to fall by chance. The suffering, trials, and persecutions that we may face are not by accidents. They don't just happen. God has a reason for them. They're not accidental things. We believe that what happens to uh, we who love God and are called toward his, according to his purpose are, is for a reason and for a purpose. God uses these hardships, these, these trials to develop us, to, to help us to grow. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and, and depth and height. And to know the love of God which passes knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. It's like a story I read about this man who visited the orange groves where an irrigation pump had broken. The, re the season was unusually dry and some of the trees were beginning to die because of lack of water. The man who was giving the tour of the orange grove said that the, he, said he, he showed the, this man his orange grove. And he said, these trees could grow without rain for another two weeks. The reason why, well, he said, when they were young, I frequently kept water from them. This great hardship caused them to send their roots deeper into the soil to search for moisture. Now mine are the, are the deepest rooted trees in the area. While others are being scorched by the sun, these are finding moisture and strength at greater depths. The lesson is to pre be prepared for persecution. Be prepared for, for problems. You know what's the greatest way you can be prepared for that? Is by knowing the word of God. The greatest way I can tell you as a Christian to be prepared for, for problems is to know the word of God. Because you look at like life of Abraham, and he went through problems. And Isaac, and he went through problems. And, he did, and Jacob, and David, and Moses, and so many others. Elijah, Elisha, Isaac, uh, Jeremiah, all these men went through problems. Different men, different women, same God. Did God disappoint any of these men? Well, they, got, they may be disappointed in God, but God wasn't the problem. God was faithful and true. He was faithful and true to Adam. He was faithful and true to John. From the beginning to the end, he's been faithful and true. And dear friend, he's going to be faithful and true to you. Even though you may be going through calamity right now in your own personal life. Realize there's a reason for it. Secondly, the coaching or the co coaxing for cheerfulness. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, but be but rejoice as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding 
exceeding joy. I heard a story by D.L. Moody about a Christian woman who was always bright, cheerful, and optimistic, even though she was confined to a bed of illness. She lived in an attic apartment, and one day she was going to the attic apartment, and she took a very wealthy woman with her. The wealthy woman walked into the apartment building and said, how could you live in this? They went to the next floor, and the woman who was weak said, it gets better as you go higher. Went to the third floor. She said, how can you live in this squalor? He said, she said, it gets better as you go higher. They got to her attic room, and the wealthy woman said, how could you live like this? She said, it gets better as you go higher. Dear friend, it's going to get better for us as we get higher. <laughs> Our best is yet to come. Man, we're going to walk on gates of gate. We're going to walk through gates of pearl, walk down streets of gold. We're, our best days are, are, are ahead of us. If you're hoping your best days are here, you're, you're putting your money towards the wrong thing. That's why we have an investment that's going to outdo any stock market that's ever been created. It's called internal investments. That man that was behind this pulpit Sunday morning. You know why I'm so glad he was here? Because by the grace of God, I invested in that man. I invested in that man, and right now he has a church ever in Argentina, and people are getting saved, and by the grace of God, three or more churches are going to, are going to be established, and more people are going to get saved and baptized and discipled, and I invested in that. How many of you invested in stock went south these last couple months? You, can't, you don't know how that thing's going to go. You say, well, it, it, man, that thing goes up, goes down, goes up, goes down. But when you invest in eternal things, it always goes up. It goes up. It goes up. It says rejoice. <laughs> I love that. But rejoice in such me are partakers of Christ's suffering. We get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it. The word rejoice means to rejoice Calmly, happy, glad, or cheerful to thrive. It's an imperative mood. It means it's a command. It doesn't say, well, maybe do it. It says, no, he wants us to rejoice in the sufferings that we go through, in the persecutions that we struggle with. Because Jesus Christ was persecuted, we, if we get persecuted for sharing the gospel, or believing the truth, or, or, or telling other people what's right, if we get persecuted for that, we shouldn't get mad. We shouldn't get sad. We shouldn't get the poochy lip disease and say, oh, I'm treated so bad because I'm a Christian. No, dear friends, we should get happy and say, thank God I get to rejoice because Christ suffered. I get to suffer too. We should rejoice and be exceedingly glad. That's how we should be. Believers at my time might be partakers of Christ's suffering. Where partakers means to fellowship with someone, to share, to be in close fellowship, to be a partner, to participate in. I love these verses throughout the scripture, especially Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. If you don't have these marked down in your Bible, I encourage you to have them. They're great, wor great words from the word of God, especially when you're going through trouble. Fear not, fear thou not, for I'm with thee. Be not dismayed, for I'm thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will hold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Chapter 43, verse 2, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. When thou, when thou, and through the waters, thou shalt not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. 
Neither, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Does that sound like a God who doesn't care about us? Does that sound like a God who just says, well, you just go through it on your own? No, we have deep fellowship. That's why we sing that song like the, in the garden. We walk with him and talk with him. We have a relationship with him. It says, rejoice in exceeding joy. Not just a little joy, but exceeding joy. The word exceeding joy is different from the word rejoice. The phrase means greater intensity of joy. To leap for joy. Skip out of ecstatic joy and delight. So we're going through, going through persecution, go through problems. It's not the time to pout. It's not the time to sigh. It's the time to realize the, the Lord is allowing me to be a partaker of the sufferings of Christ. So don't call everybody and say, woe is me, my life is so sad. Call them up and say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. One blind, but now I see. Amen? How different it is. I said it Sunday, we either sigh or we sing. Which do you do when troubles come? We see the coaxing or cheerfulness, the consequences. But what's the consequences of suffering for Christ? Verse 14. It says in verse 4, but if you reproach for the, for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory, the God of God resteth upon you on their part. He is evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. God is working in our lives, changing us. This word resteth, interesting word. It means, it means to cause, to, pit, to permit, to one to cease from any moment or labor in order to recover, collect the strength, to give rest, refresh to provide quiet, calm, patient expectation. Every Christian, first of all, has a choice. We have a choice. You don't, come one, you don't become a Christian by birth. You become a Christian because you choose it. You choose it. You choose it. It's, and not only is it by choice, it's by change. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. We're different now. I'm a Christian, I-A-N. The first is I am nothing. I am nothing. It's a choice. There's a change. There's a challenge. It's a challenge to be believed. We're challenged to follow the Lord, endure trials, bear Christ's reproach, press forward to grow to the Lord, share in his suffering. God gives us the blessing and joy when we suffer for him. What an encouragement. I read a man by the name of Richard Wormbrand, W-R-M-B-R-A-N-D, found out this truth about a Roman. He was found in, his, in a Roma, Romanian prison. The death of Richard Wormbrand in 2001 didn't attract a huge amount of attention. But back in the 1960s and early 1970s, he was the, he was the better known dissentence in the communist, communist bloc. He was an evangelistic, evangelistic minister in Romania who was suffering for the gospel. He was treated harshly for what he believed. But in the midst of how he was treated, he described the joy he possessed amid persecution. He was, he was confined to solitary confinement. 
He'd been beaten and bore the scars. But how did he, res- how did he respond? He wrote that he, in even his weak state, would sometimes dance around his cell because he got to realize he was persecuted for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. You know what? He'll give us that type of joy if we ask for it. Do you ever ask for joy in your life? If somebody was to study your life on a regular basis, would they, would they be able to prosecute you as a Christian because of your joyful response to trouble in life? Or would they say, well, you're just like everybody else. Well, you're just, you're just, like, you're just like everybody else. We see the comforting words about trials, the coaxing or coaching for cheerfulness, the consequences of suffering for Christ, the caution against destructive behavior. Look at verse 15. But let not, not one, any of you suffer as a murderer or the thief or the evildoer or busybody in other man's matters. I uh, go through that choice chain challenge. The caution against destructive behavior is the word busybody. There's there several words in here, but this word busybody, uh, when we look at we, 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 it, looks, it comes from basically two words. It comes from one word, which means belonging to another, and another word, which means looking upon or looking into. Literally, it means looking upon or into that which belongs to another. As Christians, we should, we should care for one another, but we're not always supposed to be in other, other people's business. Don't be in somebody's business all the time. If, they want you, if somebody wants you in their business, they'll talk to you. They'll call you. Don't be a busybody. Don't be a busybody. It says, it says don't, don't, don't suffer as a, as, a, as a murderer. Hope we don't have that problem. <laughs> or as a thief. Or as an evildoer. Or as a busybody. In other man's matters. Those things, if, if we do things that are wrong, then naturally we're going to be persecuted, right? If we do things that are evil... And, and bad things come to us, they should come to us. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 11, for we hear that there are some walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Paul is saying, there's some of you in the church that are so busy in other people's business, you're not even working. That's horrible. You know what we're supposed to do? <coughs> Focus on what God has in front of us today. Focus on what God has for us today. The challenge, number five. <coughs> the challenge of consistency, verse 16. If any man suffers a Christian, let him about to be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. Several verses through this. <coughs> Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Philippians 1, 20. According to my earnest expectation, my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed with all boldness as always. So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. That's, that's, the, that's the good type of being, being ashamed. Not, not for evil, but for when you're doing good. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. For now little children abide in him that he shall appear, that you have confidence and not be ashamed for him that is coming. Oh, dear friend, if there's, if there's going to be any type of shame, it ought to be for doing, for righteousness sake, not for unrighteousness, for righteousness sake. So we see comforting words about trials, the coaxing or coaching for cheerfulness, 
the consequences for suffering for Christ, the caution against destructive behavior, a challenge for consistency and commitment. Number number six, commitment for judgment. For the time has come that judgments begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel? Where does judgment first happen? People say it's out there in the world. No, dear friend, judgment starts here with us. Peter, remember? <laughs> he knew well about this. Remember in Acts, people who died, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira, why? Because they lied against the Holy Spirit. They were struck dead. Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32, that when you are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, what we should, that, that we should not be condemned with the world. Dear friend, if we have a heavenly father and salvation, we do. He is going to chasten us. He's going to chastise us if we walk astray. What's the, what's the characteristic of a good father? He disciplines his, his children. What's the characteristics of a good father? He disciplines his children. When they go astray, he brings troubles and problems and, and hardships in their life. Why? Because he doesn't love them? No, but because he cares about them to bring them back in line. And that's what he does for all of us. If you hear, if you hear as a Christian and you've not been chastened by the Lord and you've been saved more than a year or two, you might want to ask yourself, am I a Christian? Because especially when we go through this process of sinning and we're not willing to confess our sins, we're not willing to admit our sins, and we're just holding on to our sins, God and his mercy will cause trouble and trial and tribulation so that we will repent, so that we'll come back to him. So sometimes, folks, the reason why people go through problems is not just because it's not just because they're used to having problems. Some people are. But sometimes people have problems in life is because God's trying to bring them back in line. He's trying to bring them back in line. And that's a good thing. And thankfully, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's therefore no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Consideration for the de- destiny of the lost. Number seven, if the righteous... Verse 18, the righteous scarcely be saved. Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? There's many obstacles to, to overcome for the saved. Uh, love of sin, deception from false teaching, bitterness towards other Christians, apathy, unconcerned pride, selfishness, unbelief in the Bible, busy schedules, no time for God. <laughs> I read this uh, story about John Wesley. John Wesley was a great, great preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before he was saved, he thought he was saved. You ever, you ever been there? I know people who thought they were saved. They weren't saved, but they thought they were saved. He came from England to the States to, be, to convert the Indians, and he wasn't converted himself. He came over here, and he was in Georgia, and he met a, a great nobleman from Great Britain who had a beautiful wife, and he fell in love with this man's wife. This man's wife said... <laughs> You may like me, but you have to go back to England. And he didn't want to go back to England. He wanted to stay here and follow this man's wife, but it wasn't wasn't right. And she said, you better go back to England. And he got back on the ship, and, and the story says he came back down the plank three times. 
before she finally said, you better get back on that boat. <laughs> We're gonna, this, isn't, this isn't right. This isn't right. And while he was on the boat, somebody was reading from the book of Galatians on the boat. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed that I did not trust Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And there was given to me an assurance that he had forgiven me of my sins. He, he became a Christian, placed his faith in Jesus Christ. How important it is to have a relationship with him. Not just what we think, but what we know. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But the fearful, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And finally tonight, as we conclude, this word scarcely is with great difficulty, very rarely, not easily. The difficulty is found in God saying the sinner is in the sinner wanting to be saved. Revelation 1, 21, I just read. But confidence in the faithful creator as I close tonight. Therefore, verse 19, let him that suffer according to the will of God commit to the keeping of their souls to him and the well-doing as unto a faithful creator. The word commit, the word commit here, which I'll read, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful whom by you were called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We find the same courage by committing the entire li our lives to the care of our faithful creator. This word commit, which I'll read, actually means to set something before someone, to deposit, to entrust. In these olden days, they didn't have banks, so they gave their money to other people. They committed their money to other people. They trusted other people with their money. They had to make a commitment to one another because they didn't have banks. Dear friend, you can always trust in God. He's not going to fail you. He's not going to give up on you. You can't, you can't ever give him something and, and, and worry, is he going to meet his end? He's always going to come through every time. I read about a lady by the name of Lena Sandell. She was Swedish born in 1832, and her, she loved her dad dearly. And as she grew older, she ministered alongside of him. <clears throat> she was on a ship with him on deck, and the ship for some reason, lurched un unsteadily, and he fell off the ship. Her, her dad fell off the ship and drowned to death. Imagine that. You're sitting there with your dad, standing there with your dad, looking over at the sea. Everything is going well. All of a sudden, the ship lurches, and dad goes over and drowns and dies. <clears throat> For most Christians, that would devastate them. I say that as a pastor who has been a Christian for 30-some years. For most Christians, that would devastate them. They would sigh. They would be sad. And they would probably be at church. They probably would not be at church on a Wednesday night at a Baptist church. What did she do? She wrote, day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. That's what she did.
Persecution is going to come. Dad dies suddenly. Mom dies suddenly. Child dies suddenly. Problems. How are you going to respond? Bitterness, sigh, struggle, or ultimately, by the grace of God, I pray, because everyone in this room will go through problems. And if we live much longer seeing the darkness of our society, we will go through persecution. We will go through persecution. The question is, how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to respond? Father, I pray, you God, you'd help us tonight to consider these things, to prepare ourselves. These things are coming. Troubles are coming. Problems are coming. How will we respond? Maybe someone in this 